0: For my opening prayer, I'm just going to read this psalm. This is a short one. Um, I think that kind of makes sense to me. And then we'll start with our class. It's Psalm 11. Uh, In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows, they set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men, his eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So that psalm is, um, we're starting to get into the problem of pain. That's going to be the next three classes. Uh, And pain is a huge topic. Um, It's probably, as an apologist, if you were to be an apologist, it'd probably be the number one thing somebody would bring up immediately would be pain and suffering and that kind of thing. So I wanted to um, start by doing a little recap. So I'll do that. And if there's something you hear that you'd like me to write down, just let me know. I haven't really made plans to write anything, but I put the whiteboard here just in case. Um, So we started this class um, with the objective of helping everybody know your faith and why you believe what you believe better. So I hope we've been doing that. Hopefully, we're proving those things out to you. Um, So one of the questions is, is does God exist? Um, If God does exist, is he the God of creation, and is he still involved in that creation? And is he the God of the Bible that we believe in? If he is the God of the Bible, is he telling us the truth, or is he leading us down the primrose path? I would like to take today to do an overview of where we have been and try to put some of those questions to bed. Also, I would like to prepare us for the classes to come. Uh, When we started the class, we asked, is the Bible trustworthy, uh, accurate, defendable? Are the characters in it real or made up? Um, We talked about historical and archaeological evidence um, that is available and being found on a constant basis. We showed the mountain of textual relics that talked about the extra-biblical uh, that exist and have maintained their accuracy and message for thousands of years. We talked about the extra-biblical texts and archaeological e- evidence that corroborate the stories in the Bible. We then talked about the person of Jesus and how he is also shown to be real and who walked and talked and performed miracles in the first century A.D. Then we showed how the crucifixion and burial and resurrection of Jesus was an event that either happened as described in the Bible or is the biggest hoax of all time and that we as believers of the cross are the most to be pitied. I think we have shown and hope you all see as well that the Bible is trustworthy and a valid reason to believe In what happened 2000 years ago and that we can believe that the God in it is true and trustworthy so as far as that goes um is there any questions or anything anybody like say about that so i know and i think your name's david right i know david already commented on that but does everybody else have a, a more comfortable relationship with your Bible now? Knowing where it comes from, how they get to where they get to, how they resolve those issues, how they're being open and upfront with their translation and their issues with it? Yeah, I hope so. Um, it's a pretty foundational uh, thing to have a hold of. Uh, the next thing we looked at was if the natural world and the logical realm agree with the idea that there was a creator or a god, an ultimate power, or an ultimate good. We discussed the origins of the universe and how it is far too organized and finely tuned to be a random event. We talked about how their creation is based on logic and that if it were not, it could not be studied or made sense of. Uh, We looked at the molecule called DNA and the staggering amount of information that is contained in it. We saw how every living thing on the planet has everything that it needs to survive and reproduce in this world in that molecule that is called DNA. We discussed the reason that marriage and that only between a man and a woman is an option that cannot be changed and that if it is changed that the repercussions of that change will have an effect that will be devastating on society and is already beginning to be evidenced in the world today. So we have given you some tools to defend your beliefs as far as logical and empirical proofs, at least as far as the Bible and creation go. Um, Is there anybody that feels different or okay with that? So the next thing we're going to come up against is the problem of pain. Um, So what do we do with the problem of pain? Maybe the biggest problem we have to deal with. Uh, The question goes like this. If God is good and all-powerful, then why does the world have so much pain and suffering And evil in it. So who's heard that question before? Everybody, right? If God is good, why is there so much pain and suffering, right? That's a great question. I think this question is the one that even the most devout and steadfast believer has and does ask, Uh, not to mention the person that does not have an afterlife to rely on or or creator to rely on, or anything to rely on. I've been thinking of this class for several weeks, and the question is not easy and is not going to be answered today entirely. Uh, As I pointed out in the class about morals and truths, I showed that in order for there to be morals and truth, there has to be a moral lawgiver and that he has to be incorruptible or an ultimate good. So when we ask why is there evil, we can ask the same we can ask at the same time why is there good. Evil is nothing more than a corruption and a twisting of good. Without good, there would be no evil. Does that sound like a vague statement? No, it's it's one of those logical truths. Now we can ask the question, if God is the ultimate good, then why is there evil? Why does he not stamp it out? Why does he not make everything perfect? The short answer is, he did. Uh, And then he put people with free will on it, and they screwed it up. Um... He put people with free will into his perfection, and the people proceeded to corrupt the good and perfect world with their free will. People know that pain and suffering is not how it ought to be. Um, That's why people have such a problem with pain, is because they know that there's something wrong with the fact of pain. So well, why did God not stop this if He is so good and powerful? Is He unable to do so? That's one of the big—I can't remember His name. I should have wrote it down. But that was—that was one of the questions. Why did God not stop it if He's so good and powerful? If He is—if He—is He unable to do so? Uh, if that's the case, then He's not the all-powerful power, or omnipotent. God that we talked about last week, or several weeks ago. Uh, That does not fit with the God we talked about. Uh, That God had to be omnipotent, or He could not uphold the ultimate justice that is needed. So what I'm saying is that God has the ability because He's all-powerful, okay? so. So he must be all-powerful, so that must mean that he's unwilling to do it, right? And that can't be right as well, because, again, not the God we talked about. Uh, If he is unwilling, then that means he must be evil. And we said he was all-good, because he has to be all-good to be the ultimate judge of good. Does that make sense? Because a creator n- a creator that does not want the best for his creation is evil, and all you have to do is look for parents. Most parents want the best for their kids. Um, those that don't are usually deemed evil. And if he is evil, then he does not care about justice or being good, and then our argument for a moral lawgiver is now no good. So so in saying all that, we need to come to a point where we recognize that not only is God good and just, but that he is also holy and sovereign. We need to remember that any good that we experience is due to his good will and grace. Not something we deserve. We deserve death. Anything other than that is mercy from God. Does that sound pretty harsh? It sounds right. So if you were talking to an unbeliever and you told them this, do you think this would make them want to be a Christian? If you said, well, you deserve death and the God we serve is nice and won't kill you if you follow him. Amen. I have one thing that I've thought
1: about in my life. <coughs> sense of how do you explain, though, we are put in a situation we didn't choose? You know what I thought about? Though? I was born, I didn't choose to be born. I, you know what I mean? So if, I don't know how you deal with that part. I agree with everything you're saying, but that's also a thought
0: you put in a position as a sinner that you choose because of Adam and Eve. And in a in a way, in a way that's true. But you're also then you're putting yourself in a position of of saying that if you were put there in the position of Adam and Eve, that you'd have done better. So I think that's kind of – I hear what you're saying, and it, and it is one of those – it's one of those things that is hard to deal with. And that's why I say the problem with pain and, and suffering is, is it's deeply complex thing. So
1: Maybe God chose you because he wants a relationship with you that would be a higher calling you don't choose but God chooses for you yeah. because he knows relationships and, and what he was doing really was giving us life right God was giving us life so either you have life or you don't have life <laughs> he gave me a chance
0: I have to be honest. That's a, a stumper for me. I didn't really contemplate the the lack of choice in being brought in. So, um, but there's a lot of things we don't get choices in. Um, so I don't know. I'm sorry. You.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just I just thought you know I've thought of that in my life. I think I don't know if I. Know, really formalize it like, but you know, yeah. here
2: we're sinners and we didn't choose to be sinners. It's that kind of idea. Have a choice now, but it's,
1: what did you say? We have a choice now.
2: Um, yeah, I have a choice yeah. now. Well, and the other thing is if God's the ultimate sovereign, we just have to give that decision to Him, right? Right, because we're not God. Yeah, I know there's a God, in my <laughs> <laughs> and we're not Him. So he's the ultimate sovereign. We're put here because that's what he will.
3: Yeah. Doesn't Paul say something like,
2: "Who are you to say of the, the Potter the Potter, why did he come
0: like, I think Isaiah said the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll
4: see. But the problem—the problem of judgment, which is what you're talking about, really ultimate judgment. Yeah. But the problem of pain and the problem of judgment are really two different apologetic things. And the problem of pain, well difficult, I think the problem with judgment is, is, it, is a tougher one in um, those, those that we had no choice there, that there was already Satan in the garden and yeah. when it was supposedly yeah. pure, there was already evil there and him, things like this those are those are questions that are a little bit tougher and take another uh, person, you know. but the problem with pain can be separated slightly because that's a, um, just a universal experience in the now an understanding and ultimate judgment. Kind of, where someone may not accept even the premise of an ultimate judgment, they can't help but
0: accept the problem. So, essentially, if you all haven't heard, what's been discussed, kind of, is that we didn't get a chance to choose to be here. And so how do we reconcile that? Well, if we reconcile the fact that God is sovereign, then, then that is where we have to fall on with the, our no choice to be here. God had made that choice for us. And so we have to trust that he's all good and that that choice was for a good reason. Um, what's your name? My name? No, Phil. Phil. And then Phil mentioned the, the distinction between pain and judgment that there is a difference between pain and judgment. Most people are going to ask, well, I was put here, so why do I get judged? The Book of Romans deals with this pretty well, I believe. Um, Paul goes about this point by point. Um, But we'll kind of discuss, I think I'll kind of discuss that at a surface level, the judgment thing as well.
4: I think the key here is that when you talk about it, you're saying the word I. And it's not about I. You might be here for something else. Because the reason you're That's that's my take on that. The way I deal with that is God's love. He loved us. He chose, chose to make us with the ability to choose love without choice has very little value. uh, To me, we have to have a choice to really love God and to return the love he has for us. To me, so so love kind of ties it together because God is love. God loves each of us to the point that he allows us to choose.
0: And and so then, and I'll kind of touch on this too, Um, he's saying that without that God is love and he loved us enough to put us here and he gave us the option to choose to love him back or not.
3: There's a there's that famous story about a king who falls in love with a maiden and, and so an old, the only way he could determine if she really loved him was to disguise himself you know, and come as a like a lowly beggar or, or something and because other, otherwise his power and everything would just overwhelm, and she wouldn't really have a choice. I mean, that that story was, I think, you know, was kind of getting at the same issue that he was talking about love.
0: Yeah, but God doesn't disguise Himself. I don't think He's ever really. And I hear, I understand the premise of your story. I do.
3: Well, then in that story, they would equate Jesus coming as a a baby.
0: Yeah. So, So you
1: just watched the lab, didn't you? Yeah.
0: On everything I just had written. Thanks a lot. No, I'm just kidding. So, a lot of the things I listened to and read about um, over the last couple of weeks brought in the book of Job. Um, The book of Job is looked at as one of the great treatises on unwarranted evil, right? Job did nothing, Job was righteous and Good and God and Satan or Satan came before God and and God tossed Job out there as an example and Satan said, Yeah, well, you know, if you do A, B, and C, Job will curse you to your face. It never happened. All those things happened, and Job never cursed God to his face. But does anybody know where Job messed up?
4: He did he not fully trust God at one point because he said that what I fear the most has come to pass or
2: something like that where he, he was afraid of losing his family and his fortune? His life. <clears throat> he demanded an answer from God.
0: Right. I, that is... he He questioned God's sovereignty and then he demanded accountability from God for the actions that we're taking, that we're taking. So the sovereignty thing is a huge thing for us as believers to grapple with. And it is incredibly difficult to grapple with. So.
1: And maybe that is some of what talk speaks to us. Right. But that God is sovereign. Right. It may not be
0: my choice, but it's his choice. Right. And if he's ultimately good, then his choice is good. Yes. Would, would an
3: atheist have to grapple with the same question from the other side? Well, like, why is there good? Or?
0: No. You, well... atheism, if they decide a true atheist or a naturalist, either one, if they try—if they tried to choose to take on the problem of good and evil, not pain and suffering, but good and evil which lead to pain and suffering, if they try to do that, they dismantle their whole belief system. Because you can't have good or evil without something to judge one or the other by.
3: So I guess my... And my my main point or
0: question was they have the same, they, they have the same, or a dilemma, too. How do they answer their question? Dawkins said we are DNA, we are just bundles of molecules dancing to the song that DNA gave us. So there is no, there is no answer. It's pointless, is what Dawkins would say. Life is pointless.
2: Okay. Okay. A couple of months ago, there was a case where a guy was suing his parents
1: for having him. Oh, yeah. Oh, a guy in India.
0: Yeah. Oh. So, so, I'm just putting that under there. <laughs> so, the problem with the... So the, problem with the uh, hurts my head. <laughs> but it's not the only... Uh, there's been lots of lawsuits of children suing to divorce their parents and all these things. And yep.
5: uh, we are covering a lot of territory here and a lot of overlaps like the Olympic Greens and all, but I, I just wanted to throw this out to see if it helped in the sense of judgment. I know we're talking about pain, I know we're talking about suffering and evil, but in judgment of um, a lot of the criticism that I've heard of the Biblical God is um, about judgment. Uh, so there's a misunderstanding on their part. And, and then this one person was telling how instead they believed in karma, which they thought was a lot more fair. That the universe was going to balance things out, and that had to do a lot with their good works and their good thinking and all that. And if we've ever run into the what I'll just... Point of that term. I think I came up with a perfect solution to get them to sink and maybe lay karma aside, we're talking about judgment now, and to instead look at the Bible, the Bible's answer of a redeemer and redemption and forgiveness and not being held eternally accountable for every mistake we make. And, and this, is what I'm about to tell the 32nd version, it really made sense to a couple of people. I said, okay. You're, let's say you're right. A karma judgment. In the second grade, you snubbed a kid on the play- playground who wanted to be your friend, a nerdy kid. That's not a bad thing, really. But let's just say, in the grand scheme of things, that that nerdy kid who wanted to be your friend uh, was got their feelings hurt by that little slight that you did, and were inattentive going home that day. In the crosswalk and got run over and killed because they were thinking of the snub and how you hurt your feelings. Well, in the grand scheme of things, that little kid was going to grow up, become a doctor, and cure cancer. So now you, your snub, your sin, is responsible for 9 million cancer deaths per year worldwide for the last 50 years. I said, if karma is true, what will be your judgment? And what will be your suffering throughout eternity for what you have brought upon the world? And they were speechless. They they saw the karma uh, of, of the universe judging them for their somewhat little innocent thing, with a butterfly effect thrown in there. Uh, the their worldview of karma was completely wrong and unfair, and then we got to talk about Jesus and, and forgiving
0: of sins and so he's talking about karma and the butterfly effect uh, which is a interesting concept um and I agree with what you're saying you can you can throw in there with the butterfly effect and you can i think you can even boil it down a little more and just ask them who's making that judgment call on what is good and what is bad. The universe is making that judgment call. How good has it been at doing that? Making that judgment call, right? Um, Those stories are good, though, because those get people to think. Making things overly simple sometimes, they'll, they'll immediately think, oh, that's just too simple. They don't understand Occam's Razor, right? Um, So, the problem of pain. The one thing that separates Christianity from every other belief system, and by belief system I'm talking about monism and naturalism and atheism and any other kind of ism, right? Um, Hinduism, all the other religions, the one thing that separates us from every other religion is we have the answer to the problem of pain. No other faith has the answer. We do, and we've talked about it a couple times already, but our answer to pain is that our God has experienced pain. He knows what it is. Our God, we talked about judgment, has suffered judgment on the cross, right? He suffered judgment for us on the cross. No other faith has that option. No other faith. Their options are relegated to the capricious nature of their gods or nature in general. doesn't leave a whole lot of hope, does it? it's the i was wandering around yesterday thinking about this and it's the the grand old story of the elephant and the ant right the, the elephant you know is walking around the ant is mad cuz the elephant's walking around goes and raises its fist at the ant at the elephant the ant does what is that ant going to do that elephant well in my thoughts i was thinking yeah but in our situation with god every time that ant hits that elephant, that elephant feels pain and suffers for that, right? That elephant could obliterate the ant, but it chooses not. It chooses to suffer with the ant, take the, take the pain, and deal with it, right? And he dealt with it by taking his part of him and turning it into the size of an ant and sending it down to suffer with the ant. Even though he didn't have to, right? So there's that's uh, about all I really have, really. But yes.
2: Oh, I was gonna say I read in college a lot of Dostoevsky, and probably he illustrates Christianity has the answers to the problem of pain better than any other author, and. Um, I've tried to read Dostoevsky after I became a mother and I can't <laughs> anymore. But that is an incredible experience to read, uh, how Christianity fully can encompass the problem of pain.
0: And I haven't read Dostoyevsky either. I might. I
6: might. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The, the, so does anybody have any, any questions about that? Or any concerns? I mean, I kind of ripped through 1,500 words pretty quick. So, and we've got time. Yeah.
6: I don't know if we hit it that far, that hard,
4: but uh, so one common question when, when talking about this is if God is a good God, and He's all known and all powerful, and He has it within His capability, to stop pain suffering
3: why does
0: he's a good god because he's also a sovereign god and a just god so so the the thing that happened a long time ago or i not maybe not so long ago was that god is love and that that love is all encompassing and all and all Whatever. But in order for God's love to be true love, he has to be just. Otherwise, his love is puppy love, right? It's pointless. And in order for him to be just, that means he has to pass judgment. In order for him to pass judgment, that means somebody's gonna be found wrong.
5: right? And to stop me in the second grade from snubbing that kid, and to allow cancer to be cured by that kid, God would have had to have paralyzed me at that instant or had a car run over me to stop me from... If, if God stopped us every time we did a little sin, we would be paralyzed in the world. We'd have, we have to stop spinning. I, I don't think any of us can live one day without doing a dozen things that are ungodly. And and if God was going to stop us every time we did one of those things or failed to do something righteous, we would just be frozen.
0: And And that leads back to the question of omnipotence and omniscience, right? So, if God knows all these things are going to happen, Right? The why doesn't he just make it so it doesn't? And then, and then that comes back to a question of free will, and then that comes back to the question of a lack of free will means we can't truly express love without free will. I, I see a lot of married people in here. Would your wife have been agreeable to you clubbing her and dragging her down the aisle and marrying her and say now love me? No, it doesn't work. We live in a world where love is, is, is associated with good feelings and being happy all the time. That's, I don't think that's love, that's feelings. Uh,
1: the argument I've heard several times is, yes, God is love and He's sovereign, and yes, there's sin in the world, but When we die, he makes it all right, and we all go to heaven. And even the murderer, yes, he'll set him straight so that he'll go to heaven. But then that's
0: not justice. And then that means God is capricious or evil, because he's okay with evil. So unless that person has, again, the only answer that any religion has, which is Christ, right? So unless that person has accepted Christ as their savior, which puts Christ's payment in front of their sin, unless they accept that, then they stand before a holy and righteous and just God, which is, if it's not terrifying, you need to step back and reevaluate your thought process, and they should as well. Um, One of the things that a lot of the street evangelists like to use is the Ten Commandments, and I'm sure most people have heard of uh, Ray Comfort and it's his big thing is using the Ten Commandments. And so that's what he does is he starts rolling out the Ten Commandments. And he doesn't care whether they're gay or straight, black or white, Muslim or atheist. He's like, OK, so have you ever stolen anything as, as much as a paperclip from work? If it wasn't yours and you didn't pay for it, you stole it. Have you ever done that? Can I ask, I'll ask that question of everybody in this room. Everybody's stolen something, right? Right. Next question. Have you ever looked upon your neighbor's wife and wanted her? Okay, nah, because that's rude. But how about at home when you're behind closed doors? Have you done it? Because Jesus raised the standards. So now you've done it in your mind. You've broken two out of the 10 laws. The Bible says if you break one of the commandments, one of the laws, you've broken all 10. Now what are you gonna do? You've broken the law. Are you gonna go before a judge? Yeah, let's put it on an earthly realm. You're gonna go before the judge and say, I broke them, but Hitler broke them way worse. Does the judge care how you broke that law? No, you broke the law, right? There, there's a price to be paid for breaking the law. It doesn't matter whether you slaughtered six million people or you stole a paperclip, the law is broke. That's the, that's the it. There's not a level. Right? What do you do now? So you can fall on the mercy of the judge, but in his mercy, mercy to him would be to, to deal with the others, right? His mercy is going to deal with the people that you slighted instead of you. So now you're in a lot of trouble, right? So what's the next option? The next option is somebody comes and takes that pain or that suffer, that, that judgment for you. No other religion does that. and that's the only option. With, without Christ on the cross, you stand guilty. All right? And, and it's short and it's a simple approach. and you and one thing that I felt we have been failing to do, Is we give you guys all this information so that you can have a response to people's questions. But I need you all to remember one big thing you are not responsible for convincing that person of their answer, to answer their question. It's their responsibility to do their due diligence, right? You, you have an answer for what you believe. You cannot have an answer for what they believe. That's not your responsibility. That's between them and the Holy Spirit to come up to that point. It's your responsibility to give a resp- an explanation for how, why you have the hope that rests in you. Okay? So don't get backed into the corner of, well, this is blah, blah, blah. No, you need to stand up for yourself and say, this is what I believe. And and why? And then you can ask the question, why do you believe that? Where did you get that? Yep.
2: Um, I have kind of viewed this class in the analogy of we have a lot of laundry, right, in our life. And if it's all on the floor, you can't access it. So like a class like this is like getting a closet and hangers and organizing our thoughts so that we can answer justly and things that make sense to others and to ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, I just think this class has been so valuable in giving structure to the belief system that we may have all the pieces all jumbled up in there, but just to organize it, so.
0: And and having to go through all this and, and learn it again and listen to it, and listen to it on deeper levels and different perspectives has helped me as well, has helped me to organize my thoughts and and to really wrestle with some pretty hard questions. Do I honestly believe what I believe? I mean, there's times when I'd be listening to this stuff and I'm like, it sounds ridiculous. I mean, but I think that's one of those testimonies of the spirit, right? Is that knowing that you know. Um, so that's kind of where I've come from through this. This lesson, and in, in particular, and and I could have, and I had to struggle really hard not to come in here and preach, but to teach. Um. This this pain thing means a lot to me. Some of you heard my testimony, and that's just surface level. Um, and. Dealing with that pain and then and then having to deal with the fact that on some level or another, I deserved it, right? It sounds cruel and harsh, but if I, if I if I'd have made different choices, I wouldn't have experienced those things. A lot of those choices I knew were bad, and I made them anyways. right Now those choices are behind me, and I have, the ability, and I have the desire now to make better choices. Choices that will help others not make those bad choices. So, yep. Um,
2: so, um, pain and suffering can also bring people closer to God. And like your testimony says, but like my uh, uncle, he has ALS and in stages, and his hospice is coming in. And they're a very amazing Christian family. And the nurse that's coming in every other day is not a believer. And she asks what he would like her to do. And he wanted her to read to him. And he chose the Bible. And so they've been actually having amazing conversations through his suffering about the saving grace that God can give. So I mean, I also think we have to look at pain and suffering as an opportunity to share why It's
0: okay. I think, and C.S. Lewis says that pain is God's megaphone. He whispers to you through his love and his grace, but he yells at you through your pain. Also, pain is a necessity. I want to say this, and I'm hoping I'm I'm not uh, uh, saying something untrue, but I'm pretty convinced that pain existed in the garden. If it didn't exist in the garden, what would have prevented Adam from harming himself horrifically? Right? I mean, we have nerve endings for a reason. Those nerve endings prevent us from doing bad things. Sure, he was perfect, but the the pain process is a necessity for us to stay safe. It also teaches us what is good and what is painful, right? Again, Ray Comfort uses pain as an example. Again, he's like, once you've touched a a hot stove, you know it's hot, right? No amount of coercing or writing or no movie star or no superstar or no football star is going no matter how eloquently they talk, is going to be able to convince you to go touch that stove again. A man with an experience, and usually that experience is pain, is, is relegated to a person's explanation. Does that make sense? So pain is also necessary and Megan and I have talked about this several times. Pain is also necessary so that you don't get comfortable here. We're not supposed to be here. Pain is not natural. This world is broken. Pain is a reminder to us that there's something better. Lewis put that as well. He's like, if you're somewhere and you feel like you don't fit and you can't explain why that is, that probably means that you're not in the right place. Right? So... Pain is a reminder that where we're at is not where we're supposed to be, and is to help keep us on
6: point. I would say I also, uh, I know it's apologetics, and we're talking about the unbeliever in most cases, but in the lives of the believer too. I, I guess when I signed up to be a Christian, I assumed my life would get easier and better. And if you read the Bible, it's really the opposite. You know, there's a crushing and a pressing and a uh, sanctification process that's not always fun and it's painful. And it was promised when Jesus said, you know, in this world you're going to have trouble. I've overcome the world. You know, Tozer even says that God never uses, uh, or that God always crushes a person before using them greatly. I mean, it's, it's, it's contrary to what we originally think is, you know, how God being a loving father and how he works in our lives, but it's a necessary humbling as a Christian to to suffer and it's promise. And you know, then he goes on to say, But rejoice in as much as you participate in suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And he says, For this light and momentary trouble are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, so fix your eyes on what is seen on the." And all it seems so he gives us this faith and a hope in Christ to look forward to the day when there isn't that suffering. But in the meantime, how can we do his work
0: without suffering? Right. And we're created in his image, right? And so he does those things. And I have three boys. They're all out of the house now. But God used those kids and still does to show me how he's dealing with me and how um, disappointed or disappointing I can be to him, right? And how good too, but one of the things I had to do at one point in time was spank one of my kids and it was his choice. I'm telling you, it was his choice. He was the right sentences, he chose not to write sentences. I went for literally four days, without getting too deep in the story, of getting him to write sentences. This sentence took, I timed it, 12 seconds to write. And he chose not to do it, and I gave him options. The first option was no food until the sentences are wrote. The next option was you can sit outside where it's cold until you choose to write sentences. Well, he would write enough sentences to get food or to come in from the cold and then he'd stop. The last thing I gave him was you will get spanked and I made him go pick his switch. No, don't call the cops on me, okay? <laughs> the, the point being is that it was his choice to be punished. He, If he'd had just done what he was asked, he wouldn't have had to be punished. It Bothers me today, the fact that I spanked him. But, you know, I never had a problem with that after that. Ever. Not that issue. I had lots of other problems with him, but not the issue of if I wanted him to do sentences, he would do sentences. Because that pain was a reminder. It was a correction. It was a, a straightening of the crooked road. Right? And, and that pain was, was a necessity. And I didn't enjoy it. God doesn't enjoy punishing us, but he does because he knows it's necessary.
5: It just struck me how strange it is that we have such angst, we and let's say the non-believers do, in trying to accept or justify growth through pain or being crushed in the wine press and then raised up to do work in, in the godly sense. We have such a, a, a problem with that the biblical worldview, and yet every other thing in our culture is aimed at that very same concept, and it's celebrated, and it's accepted, and it's promoted. There is not a cowboy story, or a Star Trek, or Star Wars episode, there is not a a sports analogy, there's not a love story, or anything else that you... See on TV as a story or a, a cop show or anything, without a moment of crisis and someone suffering pain of, of experience or growth, and then a resolution to do the right thing and a motor on through and to gut it out and 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 come out victorious on the other end. I mean that's every sports. We're going to be watching the Chiefs in a couple hours, and and the coach is telling those guys there in the locker room right now that same story. So our culture accepts this concept. Why do we rebel against it in the context
0: of God? That last word is why. God. We don't want to have that... We want to be able to accept the fact that we can do it on our own. How many of those people in those movies have to rely on somebody else? Or do they find the power from within? Right? They find the power from within or... It's through the power of love, right? They did it for the girl. For yeah, so we're, rebe- we're not rebelling so much against the,
5: the, the sacrifice that we feel we have to make, or the pain, or the difficulty. We're actually rebelling against God.
0: Which we have done since the very moment, the beginning.
6: At the same time, I was going to say, how much glory does God get when we do it in our power and in our strength? And we get all the credit for it. So out of our weakness, he does great things, which is pretty incredible.
0: And the one thing that is very difficult to, to process is this whole thing. And one of those psalms that's in that, it's like, 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 I think in all those psalms there it, it talks about that God will complete what he's doing in this realm in this time until it is done and is perfected again right so he comes from perfection it falls and he reperfects it why does he do that and the one thing that is really hard to accept, because he's God and he's sovereign, is that he does it for his glory. That's, as a prideful human, that's a hard pill to swallow. He's doing all of this to make himself, to glorify himself. We would call that arrogance, but that's a fallen thing, right? He's not arrogant. Anyways, that's a whole nother thing, but that's
2: God deserves to be arrogant. He's the only one who deserves it. What's the
4: parent-child relationship too? You do something, you can do it. But for some reason, you watch your kid do it. Just seems that that's much greater, much more joyful when you see them be able to
2: do it. I was kind of reminded in this talk about um, *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe* when Edmund is redeemed. And um, they're talking, should he be told what was done for him? And um, they said, well, no, because the enormity would be too great for him right now. Sometimes if you look at the enormity of what Christ has actually done, then the um, problem of evil, it's almost like he's taken into his heart, like, almost like a black hole. Evil was so densely placed on him. But he's able to take all the evil and lay it on him as a punishment. And sometimes when we don't look at the enormity of what Christ has done for us, then we can uh, spend a lot of time thinking about evil is so terrible, evil is so terrible, but it's been dealt with, you know, through Christ. Ultimate, I mean, it really man, has. Man. I think it's important to remember that this is as close to hell as we'll ever get. In eternity, we're not going to suffer any of this anymore. And so here, we can gain glory for Christ. And we can share his love with others. And we can witness to others. And we can't do that in heaven, but we can do it here. So pain can be a gift. And pain can be a joy, even. Because we can share with others what Christ has done for us. Like First Peter, is it First Peter? I don't know. No, it's James one, one. Consider it all joy, my brethren.
0: Yeah, yeah that's in Romans 2. And in Romans. I, think,
4: I think there's an important thing we just don't want to kind of get lost in this, and that there's there's kind like, of two like we about two but there's a to the atheism and to the naturalism <laughs> they can't ask the question of good or evil and they can't even begin there because it doesn't make sense. But once you're a theist, or once you believe in God, then there's another apologetics, and that is, then they would ask, okay, well, I, I accept your premise of this, but as she was saying, free will, hmm, not really free will, because I can't choose the good, and no one who's never heard of God can't choose the good, and my neighbor down the street, who doesn't go to church, has no choice but to choose the evil. There is no free will. They are going to sin because they're in Adam. And so, so then there's this, so your free will doesn't really hold. And then you say, well, okay, but, and like, well, then why didn't God just start over? Well, so he did start over. He started over one time with Noah. Um, he was willing to wipe out all of mankind and save one person and start over. But he started over with someone that he knew was also sinful and would carry the good thing of Adam down to us. And then he started over again with Christ as the new Adam. And so I think, though, even with that, we can't just act like it's an easy thing that okay, we now know Christ. We're the we're the lucky few who He has chosen, and now we can accept the good because we know Christ. And there's mil- billions of people that don't in one sense have that choice, and God's sovereign, and, and that's that's fine. But I think it's important to leave some things to mystery to the One who entered into pain in Christ and deemed it. The pain so essential that he did not quite get rid of it, but as you said, went through it in saving us. You can go either a couple of heresies. People can't deal with that, so they go to the universalism, where everyone is saved at some point, to try to deal with it. Or you can kind of go to the other extreme, where it's kind of uh, well, we know who are saved, and we know um, you know you're dead at birth. Kind of a severe Calvinism. You've got no you know everyone's going to hell except you. Know, all of these exact things. But there's a little bit of mystery there. There's Christ speaking to those souls in prison. There's, talks about God's justice to those sins that were left unpunished in the Old Testament for, with Christ and different things like this. And so I just think it's important that we probably, even as Christians, all through the church, answers have not been found other than relying on the mercy. And there's a lot of good things. There's wonderful, reading, as everyone's been saying, wonderful redeeming things in pain and in the witness to God through the pain and His entry in broken. But, um, but I don't think, because I don't want to minimize the difficulty, there's a huge difficulty with, within Christianity of the <coughs> justice of God, some children not saving other children of his creation, and why he has mercy. But that's not to say, I just think that at some point, Christians, we can point out same, we all to all these things, we also are leading in the hands of a sovereign God, but a merciful God, willing to every extent to save, and we will know in the end who he saves. But it's our call to follow him. Christ, you know, in that. So but I, but I also anyways, I just think that
5: you can come upon people that will
4: have those questions and those are hard things that don't have an answers, but in the tradition of the church, don't go to the heresy either way. We just have to say this is what
3: we know, and yet God is merciful, you know, maybe say you not know what
0: And I and I agree. There, there needs to be mystery, and there is mystery. And I don't know who said it, but they said if I could know who God is, and know Him well, He wouldn't be God. I mean, there's got to be some mystery. Um, the Bible does a really good job of explaining that mystery as well. Um, probably one of the, one of the hardest verses in the Bible is where, I think it's I think it's Moses in in Exodus. I don't know exactly, but it says. God says, "I will have mercy upon who I'll have mercy on and I will have judgment upon who I will have judgment on. and and that's we don't know who that is, but it's our and that's the point of this class. Our class is to be able to, whoever it is, to tell them why we feel the way we feel, right and and that there is something more to Christianity than, than just the surface-level stuff. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, but has been tried, found difficult, and therefore denied. Right. And one thing I really appreciated at
1: the end of the Bible, in Revelation, almost at the very last word said practically, uh, it basically says that whose soul ever will be accomplished. Now, some translations say it that way. Some say it a little bit differently. But I really appreciate that because all that we talk about, you know, uh, we don't know for sure who's going to be there. I mean, we don't know whether we're going to be there or not kind of thing. But it's not like God is keeping people out who want to be there. He's
0: inviting everyone to be there.
1: And that's really
0: spoken to me. It's a question of the free will. And that's, again, I don't think we even added that into our... Maybe they'll talk about that next week. But the free will issue is another huge ginormous, and like we've all said, the problem of pain is one of those things where you can dive down a, a rabbit hole and just go forever. Because because it, and I didn't even touch on the difference between moral pain and natural pain. Uh, the pain that, that happens because in nature, hurricanes, tornadoes, landslides, versus moral pain, the Holocaust, abortion, all these other things. Those are two different types of evil or pain or suffering there. We didn't even get there, right? So, yeah. Yep.
6: And in, in, in this
5: huge philosophical thing, just another thought, I knew a family a little child who did not have any sensation and uh, She had to have all of her teeth removed because she didn't know when she was biting her own tongue or the side of her cheek. What kind of quality of life is that now? Because she could feel no pain, she had to live a life with no teeth and always had to have padding on all of her limbs so she wouldn't strike something in just normal play. Uh, uh, They had to have an alarm clock turn her because she wouldn't feel her arm asleep and it, it, it would kill the lamb if they didn't turn her every hour. Their whole life, and I don't know where they are now, but I knew them for a while, their whole life revolved around trying to keep this child alive and doing all these extra measures in the surgery of getting her teeth out, horrible things, because she could feel no pain. And so she could also feel no pleasure. Uh, didn't know what it was like for her mother to stroke her, her hair. And, and so, pain is necessary for us to exist and survive and enjoy this life in her case because she she couldn't taste of ice cream. And that was another thing, problem with food, she had no sensation of hunger. You can imagine how awful this child's life was and how terrible her family's life imposed. They, they had more pain than she did because she had no pain. But. Uh, And of course we all want to live a painless life and we all want to make others happy and all, but uh, there has to be pain. One of the lessons is is there has to be pain for us to feel pleasure and there has to be pain for us to survive as you've
0: made that point. Well, time to go. I see people milling around so I'll say a a quick prayer and we can go. Um, Thank you, Father, for uh, this class. Thank you for Thank you for the problem of pain. Uh, Sounds bad, but thank you for that Um, reminder. Pray, Lord, that you would uh, just write the things we've heard today to our hearts, that you'd speak to us through those, that you'd prepare our hearts and minds for the message Jack has for us and um, that we would all go through this week applying these things to those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.